Hello and welcome to IRI Growth in Insights C-Suite Conversations. I'm John McIndoe, your host and Chief Marketing Officer here at IRI. IRI integrates big data, predictive analytics, and forward-looking insights to help companies in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets grow their businesses. We also share our thought leadership with the industry at large with the goal of addressing and tackling key challenges in our industry. Our special C-Suites conversation series features notable leaders talking about the future of CPG and retail. In this special episode, we're joined by Ram Krishnan, Global Chief Commercial Officer for PepsiCo. It's amazing actually that Ram has time for us today as he oversees PepsiCo's global commercial organization, which includes global R&D, marketing and insights, customer strategy, revenue management, go-to-market, e-commerce, and design. That's a lot. Additionally, Ram works with PepsiCo's CEO to transform and scale the company's commercial, data, and digital capabilities. Ram has been with PepsiCo for more than 14 years, so he brings to us today a wealth of experience, including leading PepsiCo's APAC region to his current role. In his limited spare time, we also know that Ram has hosted the Romalytics blog since early 2015. Here he muses on such diverse topics as marketing strategies, inspiration, behavioral economics, Shenzhen, China's maker culture, AI's influence on innovation, and how technology enables experiences. I see some of his engineering background at play here as well. Leading the conversation today with Ram is KK DeVay, President of Strategic Analytics here at IRI. KK has been leading the IRI COVID-19 thought leadership and economic indicators initiatives, which are among other invaluable resources you can access at iriworldwide.com. With that, it's my pleasure to turn it over to KK and Ram. Thank you, John. Ram, I've enjoyed working with you over the past decade on various topics. You're very smart, thoughtful, respectful, and humble. I'm excited to discuss global CPG and retail trends with you today, and to learn how a large global manufacturer like PepsiCo is navigating through the pandemic. Welcome, Ram. I feel that John's introduction of you gave us some clues into who you are, outside of being a senior executive at a large CPG company. But I would like our viewers and listeners an opportunity to learn a little more about you as a person. Which book are you reading uh, these days, Ram? I just finished a book, uh, KK, called uh, Susu, which is the Finnish art of courage. It's all about the Finnish culture and how they use guts and perseverance uh, to overcome uh, great obstacles. So it's been a, you know, something I didn't know a whole lot about, uh, something that we need in this world day and today. So it's been a great learning about this Finnish art of courage, uh, Sisu. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Seems like a right book at the right time. Um, which gadget or new technology has captivated you, Ram? You know, I'll tell you, you know, it's interesting what's been interesting um, going from what I would consider BC to AD, before COVID to after distancing. Really, more than it's been the app ecosystem and the social ecosystem, how it's evolved. I mean, there are a lot of things which are wrong about the social media world, 
But what's been amazing is how certain social media tools are bringing people together virtually. I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of this house party that I've discovered through my family. We were getting ready to celebrate a milestone birthday party for my father-in-law, and we did this virtually. And I actually thought it was better than the live event because more people could join. Uh, there's an app that I've discovered called Quarantine Buddy, where you get to do activities with other people with common interest. So it's, it's been fascinating how this virtual socialization has taken off. That's interesting. And uh, what new behavior have you adopted during COVID-19? And uh, do you think it'll stick, AD? That's a good, that's a good question. Uh, obviously, I think it takes a sustained period of uh, trial before I have it sticks. But I'm hoping this is one that I'm, uh, I can practice rest of my life. And it's simple, this notion of giving gratitude. I think we're all, uh, you know, are, are privileged enough to be in a position where we should be thankful. So one of the things I've started to do is every single day find, you know, at least one thing that I'm grateful for and, and make sure I pass that on to somebody else. And towards the end of the day, um, you know, we do this exercise as a family about writing down what are the three things we're grateful for um, as a family. So I think that's, I'm hoping that's something that sticks with me as we get to a new normal. That's wonderful, wonderful. Um, well, I'm, I'm gonna to switch to your leadership style and um, would love to kind of understand what have you learned you know, during this COVID crisis in terms of your own leadership and uh, you know, what has worked well and what would you say uh, is something that is still in work in progress that you know, you'll improve upon? No, it's, I mean, as you can imagine, KK, I think uh, almost all of us as individuals and leaders have grown through this crisis, right? And there's a great deal of learning. As I reflect on it, you know, it's interesting. Uh, there are two, uh, you know, cultural DNA elements that PepsiCo values and we cultivate in our leaders. One is uh, moving empowerment. The other is moving with uh, decisiveness. The good news is those two things have served us well uh, during this crisis. Uh, I, I re reflect on my time leading the China business when the pandemic hit. You know, it takes us six months to come up with an annual operating plan. And over a period of 72 hours, we redid the annual operating plan across the entire value chain from make, move, sell, and market. And we made big changes to big things. And that resulted in exponential growth as we exited the crisis. So that's a, you know, I think that's a good learning. It's reinforced, you know, what we value at PepsiCo and that served us well. As I reflect on what we could do better, I think we've all underestimated the, uh, the, uh, the psychological impact of the pandemic to individuals. You know, this notion of how people are feeling, how are they doing day to day? You know, I think we've, in the past, we don't talk about feelings in the workplace. And I think that's one of the things I wish, uh, you know, we had known intuitively as something we should be doing and not waiting for a crisis. So that's something I'm hoping to, you know, learn and, and apply as I move along as a leader. Very, very interesting. And uh, thank you for sharing uh, uh, that, Ram. Now we're going to turn over to uh, PepsiCo, right? PepsiCo is one of the largest food and beverage uh, manufacturer, CPG manufacturer in the world. And uh, clearly you have started talking a little bit about the planning uh, that moved fast. Uh, but what are some of the things that you as an organization have done to kind of seize the opportunity 
opportunities that were presented because of COVID? Yeah, so we look at, you know, we looked at opportunities through three vectors. Uh, one, obviously, uh, through the lens of the consumer. So if you think about it in this new norm, uh, the consumer context is changing, uh, the, con uh, the consumer routines are changing. So uh, at home and from home is becoming very important. So the product usage occasions and how they engage with brands is changing. So with that, we're looking at opportunities. So how do we pivot our product portfolio and communication to leverage this opportunity? So that's through the angle of the consumer. The second vector is through the lens of channel. As you can imagine uh, at IRI, you know this very well. Uh, it's been striking to see how dramatically the channel shifting is happening and then resettling. So we think a continuous period of disruption between the next six, 12, and 18 months. There our focus is staying very nimble and agile to recognize these channel shifts. To give you an idea, across some markets, we've seen 100 to $200 billion move from away from home channel, as an example, into retail, right? So how are we pushing with our supply chain and go-to-market execution to take advantage of that? So that's a big area of focus. Uh, the second thing commercially we're looking at is we are all learning there's some value in simplification and being thoughtful on where we add complexity to unlock granular growth. So we're looking at that. Uh, the third vector we're looking at outside of consumer and channel is capability and really commercial capability. We already had a roadmap in place. We already had a roadmap uh, last year as we talked about how the consumer and channel landscape is going to change. We had la laid out a roadmap of how we're going to evolve commercial capabilities. We had to revisit the roadmap and figure out which ones are we going to accelerate, which one are we going to decelerate, and which one are we going to create new. So that's something we're maniacally focused on as far as a commercial roadmap uh, to evolve with the consumer and changing retail. And, and what risks are you seeing, Ram, right, in terms of the marketplace? And what are you trying to do to mitigate those risks? One risk is uh, just the risk of moving uh, slowly. I think you have to be very agile uh, to take advantage of it. I just talked about the fact there's billions of dollars shifting every three to six months. Uh, you know our planning cycle. We are used yeah. to planning 12, 18 months, 24 months in advance. Now you have to plan in horizons of 30, 60, and 90 days and be nimble because what you can't hypothesize is what's happening yesterday, uh, you can't forecast out that that's gonna be the reality for the full year. So I think the ways of planning and being nimble, resource allocation that goes along with these decisions, because we've been very slow historically on changing resources based on what we're seeing. And I think we need to be much more purposeful in moving resources around be it be in uh, you know, media dollars, promotional dollars, or even with the GNA. So we're looking at those two vectors to make sure uh, we're staying abreast as these things change. And that's tough for a, for a large organization that's sprawled across the entire globe with multiple product lines, right? So, um, Well, you know what, with, KK, it's yeah. interesting actually. You know, what's been fascinating is yeah. the speed of decision-making has accelerated during this pandemic. Because frankly, none of us have time to sit around talking yeah. about things in multiple levels and then making a decisions. I gotta tell you as a leadership team, I think we've come together well and we have started to move with real speed. 
And now we're trying to figure out how do we hang on to the speed and don't go back to the, uh, you know, the regular way. So in some ways, I think uh, we feel like our handcuffs are off on the regular processes of you know, what a traditional CPG company has followed. Yeah. And the goal now is to try to make sure it's indoctrinated into our culture and we don't lose this. Yeah, no, I think you have been talking about that for a while. I mean, everybody in CPG has been kind of saying, hey, we need to become more like Silicon Valley and move faster, fail fast, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Glad to hear uh, PepsiCo is kind of charging ahead on that. Uh, I'm gonna ask a, a slightly different question. PepsiCo has $23 billion brands uh, globally across most eating occasions and demand spaces, right? So what are some of the brand marketing um, changes and challenges you're seeing and how are you responding? I mean, clearly it's a, it's a plus from a home consumption perspective, has elevated home consumption, but you have a portfolio of brands. How, how, how are you managing that? And with no sports, uh, and you, you relied a lot on sports marketing, so just love, would love to kind of hear uh, more about it. And for the, for the audience, Ram used to be the CMO at uh, Frito-Lay uh, a few, few jobs ago, right? So Ram is uh, intrinsically a marketer at heart. So with that, Ram. No, happy to. You know, what's been interesting is we had a chance to look back at previous pandemics like SARS and MERS. And I think our learning there is there are four distinct uh, stages the consumer goes through as they uh, go through this pandemic, right? Initially is preparation and prevention. The second is confinement and cocoonment. Uh, third is restricted recovery. And fourth is this notion of return to normal. I think the big thing for us is to make sure our brands are evolving with the consumers as they go through these stages. So we're being very purposeful in thinking through what is the role of our brand in each of the stage? Because the last thing you want to do is to create disruption to an already challenging time for our consumers. So to your point, uh, things we used to do uh, pre-pandemic or questioning, you know, what, how does that work? You talked about sporting events. By the way, we're big into a lot of experiential marketing. We're at, uh, uh, you know, we created events like South by Southwest and music festivals. Uh, but now we're gone to this world of physical distancing, but virtual socialization. So we're now relooking what is the role of our brands in this virtual world? I'll give you an idea. Uh, early on, I remember in China, we pivoted the role of Gatorade and how Gatorade can actually help a consumer run an entire marathon in their own apartment. So it's, you know, it's something we wouldn't have thought about, right? Uh, Gatorade's all about the big sporting events. So similarly, we're looking at how do our snacks play a role uh, in meals? Uh, so really thinking through both our product usage and our brand communication as the consumer goes through these uh, different stages of dealing with this crisis. Ram, you recently launched two uh, direct-to-consumer websites, pantryshop.com and then snacks.com. And I have shopped uh, both of them and I find them very, very useful. Uh, what is the intent here uh, from, from a PepsiCo perspective? Well, first I'll start by saying um, thank, you for your, uh, thank you for your business. Uh, hopefully you'll continue to do more of it. You know, first and foremost, our retailers will continue to be the primary manner by which we serve our consumers. Right? This, at the end of the day, it's a small niche offering. 
And the goal was it was opportunistic. It was opportunistic because we saw a big uh, demand spike and consumers are having a hard time accessing the product. So one of the things we wanted to test is the digital capabilities that we have built in-house. So we gave ourselves a challenge. In 30 days, could we set up this direct-to-consumer sites all using internal uh, technology, data scientists, software engineers, uh, the marketing automation capabilities we have built and challenge ourselves to you know, basically create this direct-to-consumer uh, direct business. And that's what they turned out to be. Our teams are able to rise up to the challenge and put up these two sites in a period of 30 days into an operational all the way through supply chain execution fulfillment of the product. Uh, the goal now is how do you use this direct consumer connection that we have to have a conversation about how their needs are evolving, what kind of data can we collect so that we can be more conscious of our innovation pipeline, what do we think about promotional offerings, bundling, you know, future offerings that we would actually take into actual retail outlets. So we're hoping this becomes a test lab. In your words, it's, it's, it's creating our own IRI panel without paying you yeah. guys, right? So that's yeah. kind of what we're looking at is how does this uh, become, um, you know, uh, uh, it helps us do a lot of stuff directly with the consumers and learn. It becomes a lab. Interesting, interesting. So it's like your own basis, if you will, launch a product, test it out if necessary, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's great. And, and how are the retailers reacting? So far, so good? Yeah, no, I think the retailers, I think we've been clear that we see this as a very small niche offering, right? And it's mostly to inform and educate how we can serve the retailers better, right? Imagine yeah. now I'm much more educated on what kind of assortments I could offer, what kind of multi-pack yeah. offerings I can bring in. And I could yeah. do this and test it in a virtual, uh, in a fast yeah. failure mode versus trying to put this through a complicated supply chain, which is going to be an incredible cost for both us and the retailers. So I think for the most part, the retailers are supportive because they see this as a test and learn that by the way, we're going to apply at scale in their retail context. Yeah, you've always innovated in that area, the neuroscience lab in Plano, in Dallas, you used to have, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, okay. you've always invested in these kinds of initiatives that uh, provide you a competitive advantage. So congratulations on that. Uh, your retail partners see PepsiCo as a company at forefront of insights, offering very high value added insights, um, best in class execution, in-store execution, uh, et cetera, et cetera. As we see that in, um, in the Kantar, consistent high ratings in the Kantar power ranking, how do you maintain this edge? What, what are some of the things that you're doing? What uh, lessons would others can take from this, right? From, from PepsiCo. Got it. Uh, one of our top priorities as a company, uh, really through our entire 55 year history has been operational excellence. And we measure our operational excellence uh, through two lenses. One is uh, precision, and the second is post-loop measurement. And I think that's basically our value proposition to our retailers that we bring. And we're thankful that you know, our work has been recognized by our retail partners. But as you very well know, KK, excellence is a never-ending pursuit. So almost every month, every quarter, every year, we invest in new technology and data tools to make sure we can execute with precision and we can close the loop on our execution. 
right? I'll give you a couple of examples of uh, over the last couple of years, the tools that we have developed. Uh, probably one of the you know, proprietary tools that we're incredibly proud of as far as impact has been this uh, suite of tools called Pepworks. And the Pepworks sits on uh, two different data, set, data sets. One is a consumer DNA data set and a store DNA, which is powered by a lot of our first party data. And this has enabled us to create uh, some digital products like Personalizer. And what the Personalizer does is it basically is a customized tool uh, which creates customized uh, messaging to the consumers uh, based on what they're interested in on innovation, product promotion, innovation. Imagine that particular Personalizer tool is coupled with one other tool, which is one of my favorite called the most valuable store. That tool actually tells you where exactly is the shopper going to go into which physical store and shop for the particular product, right? So then we're able to work with our retail partners and curate the assortment, the merchandising, and the presentation. So you create this entire loop where you create demand through personalized offering. Then you, you, know, you offer the assortment to the consumers as they get into their store outlet. <laughs> and then you close the loop. So I think that's the power of kind of the proposition that we would like to bring to our retail partners. And that's partly why we've been successful. It may be self-serving, so, but I'll ask you this question. You've always been a very consumer-centric leader. What are some of the tools uh, and uh, data and insights that you, you know, turn to, Rob? I know you've already outlined a variety of them, uh, but you know, what are some of the more broader things that um, you turn to? Well. Since you're self-serving, KK, I'll start with our partnership with IRI. First, I wanted to congratulate uh, both you and the IRI team. Uh, obviously, we have announced publicly that we have renewed our partnership with IRI, and we're incredibly, uh, incredibly uh, proud and excited to do that. And part of uh, the rationale for the continued partnership that we've had is this partnership we have had uh, and the co-investments we made with technology, automation, and data analytics, right? And I think about, you know, I go back to the unified platform. Uh, hopefully, IRI would say we were one of the first uh, custodians of the technology and forefront of using the tool. And yeah. that continues to be till today, you know, it's one of the tools I wake up every uh, Monday morning with looking at our performance, at least here in North America, right? Uh, but since that time, we've also built uh, some proprietary tools in-house. On the front end uh, consumer insight side, uh, we have a tool called 360 Always On. It's basically a social listening tool, but it does more than that. It looks at blog sites, it looks at various trending topics. And the neat thing is it's got an AI component to it, which basically puts a value to say, is this trending topic sustainable or this is a boom and splat? So that's a tool that we value. Uh, the other tool that, um, that I'm personally passionate about is a tool called ADA. Again, it does front-end insights, and it does everything from concept testing to testing consumer messaging. You can imagine during this COVID crisis, we had a lot of creative communication that we had to completely uh, you know, redo in a short period of time. And with this ADA tool, you're able to you know, test messaging and get an answer in a very cost-efficient way in 48 hours. So we're mm -hmm. able to make dramatic changes to our communication plan across a lot of our brands. So mm -hmm. those would be some of the tools I would highlight. Uh, thank you, Ram. And thank you uh, on behalf of IRI also for the great partnership we have had 
for at least two, three decades now. And, um, and uh, everyone at IRI is always very excited to be pushing on the frontier with PepsiCo and very committed to PepsiCo. So thank you for the renewal of our partnership. Uh, switching gears to your previous role, you're most recently um, the CEO of Asia Pacific, Australia, New Zealand, and China, APAC. Um, and some of the uh, key practices, particularly in China, like the use of WeChat, right? I think you have written about, uh, just talk to, I know it's, it's a sensitive topic these days, but just talk about how that kind of an application can help um, in US, uh, the marketing of brands and products. You know, I'll start by just, you know, talking about kind of my typical day when I was living in China, right? I'd get up in the morning, I'd check my social media uh, feed. I would use the same app uh, to do a video conferencing with my work colleagues. I'd use the same app to order green tea from downstairs. Uh, I would use the same app to get a cab to go to dinner. I'd use the same app to buy the plane tickets uh, for my vacation coming up and use the same app to make an appointment uh, with the doctor, pay my utility bills, all of my utility bills and order grocery, all wow. without leaving that one app ecosystem. Imagine wow. having you know, that kind of uh, you know, experience here in the US or in Western world, it's incredibly difficult because you got to go through different ecosystems to do everything. There, I, could all, I used to tell, my, you know, tell a lot of my friends back here in the US, I could live my life using WeChat. I didn't need anything else. You didn't need credit cards, all of that stuff. Right? So I think what I'm seeing is, for sure, consumers out here in Europe and in US are going to demand that seamless experience. The question is, how, how is that delivered? I think you're going to see more and more of these app ecosystems and platforms coming together so that it's uh, incredibly transparent to the consumer experience, right? And it's, you know, it's been fascinating. I've been out of the country for three years and I'm back here. I remember when I was leaving the country, there was a big push towards Unbundling, unbundling, right? You didn't want to have your own cable TV. You wanted to get all this uh, on demand, right? Yeah. But think about now the, the amount of choices you have. You have paradox of choices on all of this viewing. So I personally think there's now going to be a push towards more bundling coming on. And I think as that happens, more of these experiences will become more seamless. I think that'll yeah. probably be my takeaway from uh, you know, what I saw in the East. Very interesting. In fact, last night, our family, we watched the QB videos, right? The fugitive or something, 10, 10 minute videos. So, you know, it's, it's amazing the amount of choices we have these days and the amount of choices you as a marketer have to reach us. I mean, this was an ad supported thing that we're viewing, uh, seeing a lot of commercials. Ram, um, you have also moved some of the uh, advertising and marketing uh, in-house, right? And and I think that's a that's a trend that we see with a number of other CPG manufacturers. Retailers are also in you know increasing their uh, the importance of their media platforms. How how do you see all of these things coexisting? And where does the rubber meet the road, if you will, in terms of how you reach your consumers in this highly fragmented world, like QB to 
to Kroger Media, to you know uh, other other media services, and to your own in-house marketing in the the wall gardens of Yahoo, you know Google, Google and Facebook, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, let me start with ourselves uh, and what our intention is. Our intention is basically to move what I would consider essential data and analytics capability in-house, because in the long term we see that as uh, a competitive advantage uh, that, we are, that we want to in-house. Really, that's our first and foremost, our intent is value creation versus uh, productivity, right? And it's focused around owning that relationship with the consumer. And you think about some of the things that we have insourced, um, I'll give you some example, creative testing. Okay. Yeah. I told you previously we used to outsource it. It took, it took days to get the same answer back. Our media ROI, this is one of my favorite topics. For the longest time, we outsourced media ROI. And we used to do media ROI uh, twice a year on a big brand, once a year on a smaller brand. And it wasn't real time at all. Now we have insourced and built those models in-house so you could almost react real time to the changes that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. So I, which you think is, uh, puts us at a, it gives yeah. us a big competitive advantage. So that's what we're focused on is we're looking for places where there's high value creation involved by moving that capability in-house. So that's the lens through which we're looking at. We don't see a world where we're going to be insourcing all of these activities because I think that our partners are better suited to do it. And I think they're, they have better ability to hire the key talent needed for that. So you mm -hmm. won't see us doing it in all areas. We're going to be very mm -hmm. purposeful and thoughtful on it. And then as far as your question on uh, retail uh, media partners, I think you think about it, I think what uh, every retail company uh, is evolving towards is, is some notion of being a media company as part of being an omni-channel player. And we yeah. welcome that. I think there's a better return of investment for us investing a single dollar in a retailer media, which leads to a transaction, we're fully supportive of it. I yeah. think there, uh, our only push would be, let's make sure the ROI is robust. We yeah. can validate that so that the dollar we spend on you know, any other above the line media is uh, equivalent to the dollar we're spending on a, on a, on a, on a retail media channel. I think that's our only, and more, a lot of our partners are doing that. They're opening up uh, you know, some of their data so that we can track that and we can actually track transaction. Uh, so we're excited about that journey ahead. Got it. And maybe uh, at some point, uh, uh, a more neutral agency will actually evaluate that media effectiveness and provide just like ratings for shows, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I could see that kind of coming along at some point in the future. Uh, on just sticking to the retail topic, one more, one more item. There's a, and, and there was a Wall Street Journal article about how you also have reduced uh, some of the um, assortment and SKUs. Many other manufacturers have openly talked about it. Uh, but as a marketer, I kind of struggle that if you reduce so much of variety, I do understand, uh, you know, my work, my doctor work was in choice modeling. So I do know that, you know, if you offer too many choices, then, you know, consumers kind of freeze and don't make the, the right choices. But if you offer too few choices too, then you're not able to differentiate and innovate and kind of uh, this thing. How do you see the balance, right? Reducing assortment versus innovation 
providing um, the right choices and the right differentiation versus your competition? That's the uh, million dollar question, right, KK? <laughs> Uh, so obviously, during the uh, COVID crisis, our focus was on maximizing throughput of our core SKU so to make sure our consumers can find our big brands. And we worked with our retail partners to drive operational efficiency, right? Yeah. But now you fast forward four months into the crisis uh, here in the US, 95% of our items that we have paused are back on shelves. Because one, they were incremental yeah. to start with, they were bringing in new consumers, uh, so we want to go back to it. But it also has given us a, a time window to go back and look at, are these SKUs actually incremental for both us and the retailer? If not, why are we doing it? And I think that's been a good moment of reflection. And this is what I talked about previously, really thinking through where do we add complexity and why? So yeah. we are going back and looking at it. So now a lot of our innovation is going to have a higher hurdle before it gets into the market. So yeah. those are the things that we're adjusting is the incrementality, uh, how big is this innovation? Is it meaningful? What is the role? Is it going to grow category penetration? So yeah. these are all a lot of the fundamental questions that we've gone away as we've gotten bigger, right? And now yeah. we're going back to some of these fundamentals and questioning it. That's, that's beautiful. It's a, it's a great opportunity to... Um, you know, redraw, if you will, redraw the map and kind of really start from the basics. Uh, one final question, uh, what are some of the best practices you have seen of stimulating impulse purchases online in an online world? It's a good question, by the way. As you can imagine through this pandemic, e-commerce is one of the fastest growing channels in almost every single geography. In fact, I'll give you a stat that I was reading there's going to be 2.3 billion consumers, uh, uh, digital buyers this year. And that's a 7% year over year growth, bringing in almost 150 million new consumers coming online, developing new habits. The good news is I think we built a differentiated capabilities because we invested ahead of the curve in this particular channel. We've done quite a bit on marketing automation, you know, uh, fulfillment through direct ships and automated intelligence platform. Specifically on impulse, there are three or four things we're doing. One, we're looking at how do we use interactive and adaptive technologies to engage the consumer. And that's something that we've been very successful in China. We're now doing that a lot more here in the US. The second is how would we drive flexible cross-category cross purchase? Because you mm -hmm. no longer have the restriction of the physical aisles being having to be adjusted. So how do you leverage that? A third, mm -hmm. uh, which we've been very successful is uh, occasion-based virtual bundling. I know it's mm -hmm. something that you couldn't do it in the physical world. Now you can do uh, this in the e-commerce world. Fourth, there's a completely new consumer uh, purchase journey that's going on. Uh, you think about here in the US e-commerce, a lot of it is click and collect. Yeah. Think about your path to the store, uh, the geolocation, the geo-targeting, and how the brands could play a role when you get to the delivery point, right? So yeah. we're looking at that. And the last thing I'll tell you, the neat thing is the ability to do personalized offerings and activation based on your individual purchase history actually opens up a whole uh, unlimited potential that we haven't tapped into prior. So yeah. we're actually very optimistic on uh, the role of impulse and what you could play in this e-com world. 
and we're working with our retail partners to bring some of this uh, technologies and techniques uh, to their omnichannel landscape. Fascinating, fascinating. Ram, um, thank you so much uh, for your time. Uh, as always, I uh, learn a lot when I talk to you, appreciate your time and appreciate the partnership. Over to you, John. Thank you, Thanks. KK, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Ram and KK. Uh, truly a, a fascinating conversation. Just a couple of key takeaways that, that really jumped out at me. Ram, first, your, your focus on what you, what you described as three vectors or three lenses um, and really staying focused on those, the consumer, the, their ever-changing lens and how things are being dramatically disrupted, focusing in on channel, um, significant disruption there requiring tremendous agility um, and simplification in, in many cases. And then third, the focus on commercial capability and evolving your commercial capabilities to meet consumer, those evolving consumer and channel demands. Clearly the underpinning data technology and analytics is playing a, a critical role at not only how you uh, address these COVID times, but well beyond. I thought it was fascinating your comment about um, the risk of moving too slow and how you know we really must embrace agility and being nimble, um, both from a planning as well as a resource allocation perspective. I thought your perspective around accelerating decision-making and really taking an honest look at how you embrace and extend that speed with which you guys have been operating during this pandemic, how do you make that really kind of a long lasting operating principle? Um, I thought your example around your direct to consumer sites is really a, a powerful example of that rapid action um, that ultimately will lead to great, great benefit for your retail partners. I think your, your perspective around really kind of understanding the role your, your brands can and should be playing um, was, really, was really quite insightful. And then of course, your secret to maintaining edge all around operational excellence, both from a precision perspective as well as from a closed loop measurement perspective. Clearly your, your retail partners um, have tremendous faith in your efforts to continue to perform with that, that level of operational excellence. And we're certainly a, a proud to be a partner of choice to help drive that. Uh, just in closing, some of the, uh, the things that you talked about relative to impulse purchasing and some of the technologies you guys are looking at from interactive and adaptive technologies to enhancing cross-category purchasing to delivering personalized um, shopping experiences are really, really interesting. So exciting things to come from, from you and your team for sure. Um, so with that, um, thanks so much for, for joining us today. Really enjoyed our conversation and um, we'll close it off. Great questions, appreciate it. Thank you, thank you for your time. Thank you, KK and Ram again, that was terrific. For our listeners and viewers at home, this recorded conversation will be available at our website, iriworldwide.com. We hope you'll take an opportunity to review our COVID-19 thought leadership, including valuable reports and a dashboard of economic indicators. Thanks so much and have a wonderful day.